All right. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine, and I'm here with John and Rob. Hello. Hey, everybody. This week, we are going to read a story and discuss a story that John picked. So, John, tell us what you picked. I picked um, the story Closer by Greg Egan. And you're going to read a section? Yes, I'm going to read just from the beginning. Okay. Nobody wants to spend eternity alone. Intimacy, I once told Cian, after we'd made love, is the only cure for solipsism. She laughed and said, Don't get too ambitious, Michael. So far, it hasn't even cured me of masturbation. True solipsism, though, was never my problem. From the very first time I considered the question, I accepted that there could be no way of proving the reality of an external world, let alone the existence of other minds. But I also accepted that taking both on faith was the only practical way of dealing with everyday life. The question which obsessed me was this. Assuming that other people existed, how did they apprehend that existence? How did they experience being? Could I ever truly understand what consciousness was like for another person, any more than I could for an ape or a cat or an insect? If not, I was alone. I desperately wanted to believe that other people were somehow knowable, but it wasn't something I could bring myself to take for granted. I knew there could be no absolute proof, but I wanted to be persuaded. I needed to be compelled. No literature, no poetry, no drama, however personally resonant I found it, could ever quite convince me that I'd glimpsed the author's soul. Language had evolved to facilitate cooperation in the conquest of the physical world, not to describe subjective reality. Love, anger, jealousy, resentment, grief, all were defined, ultimately, in terms of external circumstances and observable actions. When an image or metaphor rang true for me, it proved only that I shared with the author a set of definitions, a culturally sanctioned list of word associations. After all, many publishers used computer programs, highly specialized but unsophisticated algorithms, without the remotest possibility of self-awareness, to routinely produce both literature and literary criticism, indistinguishable from the human product. Not just formula garbage, either. On several occasions, I had been deeply affected by works which I'd later discovered had been cranked out by unthinking software. This didn't prove that human literature communicated nothing of the author's inner life, but it certainly made clear how much room there was for doubt. Unlike many of my friends, I had no qualms whatsoever when, at the age of 18, the time came for me to switch. My organic brain was removed and discarded, and control of my body handed over to my jewel, the Ndoli device, a neural net computer implanted shortly after birth, which had since learned to imitate my brain, down to the level of individual neurons. I had no qualms, not because I was at all convinced that the jewel and the brain experienced consciousness identically, but because, from an early age, I'd identified myself solely with the jewel. My brain was a kind of bootstrap device, nothing more, and to mourn its loss would have been as absurd as mourning my emergence from some primitive stage of embryological neural development. Switching was simply what humans did now, an established part of the life cycle, even if it was mediated by our culture and not by our genes. So why did you pick this? Um, I read it in a class a while ago, and uh, a really terrible class, by the way. Hmm. And um, I, it just stuck with me. And uh, I don't know, in an effort to bring more science fiction into this podcast, I thought of this story. Well, you're doing a good job, because you haven't picked something that I wouldn't read. It's not that I don't like sci-fi. It's just if you told me to pick a plot, I probably wouldn't pick AI or something, you know? But everything that you pick, obviously, is literary. That's what I like. But what do you like about this story? Oh, this one, it's it, I like this one because it, it does what a lot of excellent science fiction does is it wrestles with an idea and it dramatizes the uh, possible approaches to that idea. We start with a philosophical problem and then we dramatize a character kind of figuring that out. It's usually not so overt as I was worried that about the consequences of solipsism. <laughs> so, but you know, th this is what science fiction does. I kind of read that as that was like, he was being economical. He's like, this is a short story. This is what it's about. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. It's just, 
Yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it also, my PhD was in literature and cognitive science, and this deals with a lot of things about the mind. So I find, I just find that interesting in general. So yeah, before I knew where it was going, I thought that maybe it was going to focus on the bit that you read talking about literature. He, he was kind of comparing like an author writes this, but I don't really know what he thought when he wrote it. I just know what I think when I read it. I was like, oh man, this is John's jam right here. Yeah. Which, and as the story goes, and, um, that jewel, the Indoli device. Yeah. Sets up the possibility for these people to like shift bodies and personalities a little bit. It really plays around with my favorite topic on this podcast, apparently, it's point of view. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that that's one thing that before I reread it, I was like, that story was interesting because it shifted point of view in the middle and um, became another character all as a consequence of the story, which was really interesting. And so I was like, I'm going to suggest that one and I'm going to reread it now. So Wow, wow, wow. Maybe the theme for the three of our stories is point of view, not sex. <laughs> Maybe. Rob's does it too. Mine has that collective we. Yeah. Sounds like a winner, yeah. I liked the way that it introduced the whole concept of the, sh- the what did he call it, the switch? The switch, the, the yes. thing that happens when you're 18, the jewel is the object yeah. and that takes over your brain. So this is the only thing I know to mention in science fiction, but it's like the world building concept and how expertly that's done. And I liked it here because I think it's easier in futuristic pieces where the kind of the point is that this could happen. So we're familiar with some of the predicaments of technology or the possibilities currently and what people are toying with so it's like if you read a story about flying cars that wouldn't that would be sci-fi technically but not so sci-fi that you couldn't understand it or like envision it somehow so i like stories like this where it's like this is maybe a hundred years in the future however many but we're already kind of grappling with the idea of outliving our bodies and our consciousness remaining i think it did a good job kind of not over explaining it but kind of carrying you through and that was a device right there where he's like you know the the switch and that's where you really launch into it. That's when you know it's like full on sci-fi. Yeah. He's like, this is how my brain works and this is what I can possibly do with it to solve this conundrum of mine, which is like superhuman. Like everybody has this thought, I think, right? Like how well can you really know someone if you aren't them? And then the part where he talks about like, the only thing I'm sure of is, you know, myself. Isn't that the definition of what is it? Solipsism. I looked that up because I was like, this sounds pretty key. (laughs) But that's, I think what my takeaway was, was that you can only, like, you can only know yourself truly and everything else is, you can't really assume that it's even real. So I like, like you said, good science fiction just illuminates like a common current issue or moral dilemma through a different worldview. Yeah. It's like a a thought experiment. Daniel, Mm. Daniel Dennett talks about thought experiments where you take the variables of it and you just crank them up in different directions and I think fiction can do that you know just crank the variables as far as you can in one direction or the other and and see what falls out and that's what good science fiction does yeah yeah what'd you like about it Rob um I like that for a story that's concerned with intimacy it's a particularly chilly ne- um voice which makes sense because it's it's you know is it a person isn't a person it's sort of a person it's sort of not once we get cooking in the story so that that's kind of something nice just to chew on as you're reading it you're saying this person's so obsessed with just connecting and connecting but everything of course is so technical and kind of verbosely technical at times where it's just where's the human feeling and i didn't feel and i 
I would think that this is on the part of the writer. He seemed really, um, I, this is someone who you believe who's telling you something. They're making stuff up, but it sounds good and you buy it. And you're not sort of, I mean, even if you read crap, you don't think that wouldn't happen. You just kind of skim by and don't think of it. But with this, you're sort of enjoying it and you're enjoying just the kind of mini universe he's constructed. But you, but with the, but with the intimacy, I thought there was kind of a, whether or not it's an irony, it might even be a paradox where this guy's so concerned that I can't know anybody. I can't know anybody and this separates me. But that kind of is what brings people together of course because we all share the same we're all in separate bodies anyway so if we're bodies we're all kind of together in our in our loneliness so I, I would have thought that that would have been either if that's not the climax of the story then the author would have at least not, if not the author the narrator would have recognized that I found that troubling immediately I was like well of course we're all alone but that's why we're, we're social people is because we need to be around one another so I thought that very basic kind of platitude almost would have been kind of chucked through like really quickly and that it didn't was kind of it, it didn't trouble me. I was just, I just thought it was odd. It just seemed like such a basic Wasn't thing. Wasn't kind of the embodiment of that, like the foil for his? She talked about how she had like a uh, really busy social life, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, like yeah. Sh she was more engaged. I mean, maybe, but I want the narrator to to this, notice. Well, this narrator is just knowledgeable. This 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 is a a brilliant narrator so i would think that they would yeah but putting it embodying it in a character is awesome but i would think that that would be observed by their narrator particularly by this narrator and i think he would make something of it to your point about like the tone being cold it obviously is and I, yeah it because it just feels like this futuristic world where if you can separate your mind from your body like nothing's sacred you know so yeah it is kind of weird that he's talking about like intimacy but he doesn't feel like a warm character but i thought what made that so was the fact that this is like really completely devoid of details about what make these people individuals like mm, i think it, yeah. he talks about like i think her favorite color or something Am I making that up? No. Yeah, we definitely get the idea that appearance is not important at this time. Yeah, I mean, like, we don't know what they look like, which is fine. But also, we don't really know a ton about who he is as a brain jewel, whatever he identifies as, you know? Like, what makes you particular to you? And what makes her particular to her? And why do you like her in the first place? It felt like it wasn't specific to them. It felt like what we were supposed to take away was this dilemma that he had about how well can I know her and how well can she understand me and I didn't love the ending like that the takeaway was that they knew each other too well so where was the mystery and we broke up I think that was the uh the consequence right his little solipsistic okay the a consequence not a revelation yeah like he's like we're gonna try out all these things to try to get closer yes called closer mm -hmm. but in becoming the same person we get too close and that that the first line and the last line that it's repeated nobody wants to spend eternity alone now that we've been the same person you know it's we're spending time with ourselves mm -hmm. so now we have to go meet somebody else in order to uh to actually to actualize our humanity or whatever yeah so yeah yeah i, I guess consequence rather than revelation yeah it's not supposed to be like the plot point or the climax of the story necessarily yeah it felt like that part like the ending kind of rushed for me it was like so the experiment was over and then like well ultimately i mean we broke up yeah it was like we tried to stay together 
we lasted a week. It's really quick, which kind of I think uh, is probably meant to um, emphasize how how uh, jarring that that experience wound up being, jarring to their relationship. The narrator does this thing a few times, and I just can't, I can't find an example yet. Maybe I will. Maybe you guys can help me. Where he's he's great at describing processes because of course he is. He's a computer, so that's what he does. And he's when he does it, he does this thing where he says, "But it wouldn't be like this because it would be that." So he kind of um, reinforces his statements when he's explaining processes and he does it in such a way as like a computer would back itself up just the same mm-hmm. logic you would think which I loved there when he, he would start doing it, I'd be like that's cool this is like a real computer talking yeah he did what good sci-fi does well which is like convince you that what it is they're describing could actually happen right it's it's almost like the part in Jurassic Park where they're like okay now we're extracting the blood from the amber and the mosquito and you're like oh shit why wouldn't that work yeah it makes total sense to <laughs> yeah. me and they do it in that way where you just you willingly make the jump and then you're like in it. So I liked kind of reading those sections where he described, okay, so this is what's going to happen. He's going to shut my jewel off. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. All checks out. Yeah. <laughs> the jewel. I would have liked to have seen more stuff dramatized too. Obviously the main, the fina- the Super Bowl of this thing is the, when they change bodies and that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Maybe it could be more of that. Just have that be longer. I just wanted more in scene stuff. I know there's a lot of tech, <laughs> tech writing to get out of the way when you're building up a world like this, but maybe that's to the writer's discredit where I shouldn't have to sit through two pages of it's not necessarily expert. You gotta tell me this stuff. But you gotta tell me quicker. Yeah, he puts it in in the guy's head, which helps. Yeah, like, but it does right, go on. Right, it's not just third person omniscient like this. But because this, I haven't read anything like this. I've only read like commercial sci-fi. Well, this passes more literary sci-fi. Uh, hard science hard fiction. Sci- yeah, li- yeah, slightly literary. So I guess. maybe just the genre isn't for me then. But um, you mentioned before he has that that very mechanical kind of way of seeing like a personality, mm-hmm. and it comes through in a prose like he says uh, when the te- technology became available it was CN's idea not mine for us to try out all the fashionable somatic permutations which is like really computerized like it's kinda beautiful rem- too though it's, it's great wording yeah. it's, it's good language but it's definitely like that at remove like we're not feeling that or, or further down in that section he says um, the financial disincentives for reproduction <laughs> had been drastically increased in recent years oh yeah that was good like those like lines definitely set up his personality so maybe his personality isn't the best one to be in for that beginning when we're learning about this stuff. That's interesting. Unlike many of my friends, I had no qualms whatsoever when, at the age of 18, the time came for me to switch. Right? Maybe somebody who is a little totally bit more, <laughs> a little more fearful of it, we would feel it more. Yeah, that's a yeah. That'd be interesting to have a scared narrator in this world. Mm. It's like you're destroying my actual organic brain. Are, are you destroying me? Are you like what is this yeah. jewel thing? You can hear Woody Allen's voice saying that. <laughs> that's right. I thought maybe the part the the part of this premise that I was most interested in was when they were talking about actually switching bodies, and he was kind of freaking out that that would mean that he was racking his brain for something he had done wrong or a secret he didn't want to share. That was the most interesting part for me because maybe we've all had a thought like this where it's like I want to know my partner better what is he thinking right now like you want to know these things but there's obviously a merit to being like your own private person and I think what he kind of toyed with was less the idea of what the implications are for you as a couple but like for you as an individual don't you want to have something private to yourself that was like the most interesting part for me I was like no there's something great about like 
the, the concept of alone time where you can have your own thoughts and nobody needs to know or predict them. And you can have your own fantasies. And I don't mean erotic fantasies, but you can play out your own ideas. And I thought I thought that was going to be the landing point. And instead, it was like the implication for them as as a couple. I was like, oh, I don't think he'd be bored. I think it would more be like, well, nothing's mine anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. He says at the end... You know, the the last line is like, nobody wants to spend eternity alone. So they broke up. <laughs> he said, we knew each other too well. That's all. Detail after tiny fucking microscopic detail. There's a little emotion. In yeah, there, no right? kidding. That's the only swear in the story, yeah. isn't it? It wasn't, it wasn't that the truth hurt. It didn't any longer. It numbed us. It smothered us. We didn't know each other as we knew ourselves. It was worse than that. I like the story because it made me think about the concept that I just articulated, which is like, well, no, 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 no. Like, this is what I like about being an individual that nobody, my phone already knows what I'm thinking, you know, like that's enough. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I like having these other thoughts that are just mine. That's the whole beauty of being a person. <laughs> Is to have your own private yeah. reality in your brain. Autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. And even not auto- even if it's not autonomy, like, I don't know, the fact that like you can be sitting at work or like in a classroom and you can zone out and create your own reality. Like you're just, it's just you. And this guy was like, well, but I want to know what she's thinking. I'm like, well, don't you care about what, what's lost for you? Very selfish, young man. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, I think that's a mark of good, uh, science fiction. The idea that I had to toy with this concept and I, and I had an own, my own personal kind of revelation. Cause like you said, the best science fiction kind of brings up some kind of moral question and answers it through this lens. So th- that was fun. I wonder if hard or hard science fiction is the only genre that kind of maps itself out like this. I don't know if maybe fantasy has to do this sort of world building too, but I think it's different with fantasy because I think there's kind of a general fantasy lexicon of what things are and what they do and what they mean. But with sci-fi, it seems like every sci-fi writer is always trying to kind of build their own thing. And I think that's what this, this genre is interesting just based on that where it's kind of like you have to get it there has to be an instruction manual when you read a sci-fi and i don't think that's necessarily if you were to read let's say a game of thrones books or whatever so that's just kind of something interesting to think about that is interesting game of thrones is so based in history like we he in the first chapter that he describes like one of the characters sleeves as being dagged sleeves and we all know what that is from from history do we? we could know what that is from history right you can look it up and find pictures of like you know 14th century women wearing with those sleeves that fall down at the wrists oh, sure. but for like this i think there's also in science fiction there are kind of like i don't know what else to call them, but schools of thought or um maybe schools of setting like this there's a, something called post-human there's post-singularity there's all kinds apocalyptic. of apocalyptic like, yeah apocalyptic <laughs> yeah. uh so there's all these assumptions that kind of go into the genre yeah and then people share and like this idea of replacing the brain with a computer is something that's used a lot of places too but i think he i, I was reading i think he um, this device that he uses in this is part of his overall, like many of his stories. Oh, yeah. And he returns to it a lot and does other things What's with that? it. What's that? The jewel? The jewel, the okay, Andoli okay. device. When you said device, yeah. I was like, literary device? Oh, yeah. No, the, the actual technological device. I wonder, when when was this written? 91, so. Oh, was it 91? I wonder if he's real pissed about the jewel that everyone smokes now. Oh, boy. <laughs> When I was reading this, I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Actually, when I was reading it, I was thinking of The Sims, which when you like hover on a character, the one that you are has that (laughs) jewel that rotates above his head. Oh, yes. I was like, is this where he got it? It's a plumb bob.
What? <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah. What is that? Like a, a marker? Thing that you can hang on a string that gives you pure vertical. What did you say but though? A, a plumb? A plumb bob. It's like when you, it's a weight that you have at the end of a thing. Okay, like okay, a yeah, string yeah, yeah. To hold it down. Gives you vertical. <sighs> I'm learning so much. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> I'm into it. Okay, well, what else do we like about this or not like? I have uh, one yeah. big thing I want to talk about. So I talked about, I mentioned that um, one of the, my memories of the story before I reread it was the point of view was interesting in this. So I thought I'd mention there's on the, there's a moment like when they're about to be in this, in the, they're being merged into the same personality to be inserted into the identical bodies to have identical experiences that um, their memories are talking to each other. And right at the end of that kind of conversation, there's a moment where if you, I don't know, if you blur your eyes or shake your head, you lose track or maybe you just lose track in general of who's thinking what. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the, it's, it's, you don't know who is who. It's the ambiguity really, he plays that up. He does that really well. Cause and then the kicker at the end is then I realized that I had no idea whether or not it was my turn to reply. <laughs> it's like, was I talking? Was I not talking? It's really, uh, really nicely done there. And then obviously the next section, he wakes up as a totally different person still. First person singular, I woke lying in bed. My body felt awkward. Um, I shrugged. I sat on the bed. So it's in the first person, but it's a totally different character again. So just playing with POV in that way is, again, this is like the last episode. Really interesting. But I thought that that was an interesting... Because he starts off in that section I read at the beginning, he starts off talking about the capacity of literature to explore the question that the, char- the main character is interested in. And the main character dismisses it. But I think that the story kind of undermines the character's assumptions, right? Because the character says, literature can't can't do this for me. But then the story is is a piece of literature and it goes ahead and does it for him, right? So um, it's interesting that um, you can read it in that way where the character doesn't know and you're like, oh, wait, literature is actually doing this. The literature has an empathic capacity with POV. Like I was talking about where you know we're shifting characters and stuff. It, it offers alternate experiences and kind of answers that question of solipsism and says this is this is what an alternate experience can be like maybe the reason it stuck with you is because this this sounds very much in keeping with the theme of your book that you're working on right like what oh yeah of course yeah what literature can accomplish yeah. because of what it's able to do with your brain yeah and that, that's i mean that's the literature's capacity to to awaken your brain into certain kinds of experiences and states is what makes it powerful you know and i would I would argue that this story kind of shows us that fiction and literature is the only way that this to address the the questions this narrator is wrestling with. Mm. <laughs> Bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we don't have that technology. You can't like switch bodies like like they can. And I don't know my the f- my philosophical position is that it's probably unlikely that we will have those those technologies. I think solipsism is not a parsimonious assumption, and he's starting with assuming it is the place to begin. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm agreeing. Like I understand. <laughs> I don't think solipsism is the easy answer to uh, to experience. I think we ha- just assuming that other people are li- like uniqueness. Assuming that uh, my conscious experience is unique in the universe is not parsimonious. It's not uh, Occam's like according to Occam's razor. You have to make too many assumptions. Like I am a unique creature within the entire universe. That doesn't make any sense. So I have to assume everyone else has a similar thing than this. So I think that that's the easier answer. But that's, you know, the story does what it does because the character has that point of view. So it doesn't really matter. 
Well, what would you guys take away from it then? Like, what's something that we could mimic or maybe John's going to chime in here again with a point of view tip? Well, point of view, the thing I just said about literature are all things I can take away. But I guess the main thing is just using uh, science fiction or not even science fiction, but any story to kind of set up a problem like a philosophical issue and finding a way as a thought experiment to address it. It's an interesting um, way to kind of explore things. I think that's what stories do a lot of times. It's just more overt maybe in science fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really the only thing that I could think to take away as well is just like think of a potential, like a, what feels like an imminent potential problem that we have. And it they all lend themselves to sci-fi, right? Because they're all something that hasn't come yet to pass. You're going to have to imagine something. Like even something as spelled out as climate change, right? You still have to imagine the ending there. And then you're basically writing sci-fi. Like the closest I've ever come to sci-fi was writing about like wildfires, but it didn't oh, yeah, feel like a story. leap for me because wildfires are happening. It, But it was like, I put a wildfire in Collier County, Florida, that was worse than anything we'd ever seen. That's basically sci-fi. It's not really fiction at that point. Like you're, you're toying with sci-fi. Like or the, I don't, the larger genre of speculative fiction. Yeah, right. I guess I guess when it, when I say sci-fi, it's just like, is this a potential like actual problem that could happen, and will you have to make it plausible in the sense that it has to has to be like scientific somehow? Like, yeah, okay. like so. Rob was talking about world building, and I was thinking of um, Ben Bova, who's the sci-fi writer that lives here, and we tried to get him for that conference, and then the conference never happened. Anyway, Ben Bova is one of these sci-fi guys who recently researches all of his stuff so thoroughly that he's been referenced as an expert when it comes to films because they want it to be as realistic as possible. So here's a guy that's using what we do know to imagine something that's fun to read, but he's backing it all up. So that's the closest I've gotten to it. It's like, oh, a fire. This uh, <laughs> this author recently uh, made news. That's usually not how good stories start. <laughs> <laughs> made true. news is never good. Non, non-literary news in solving Solving a um, a math problem about super permutations. It's complicated and and whatever, but if you have a number of elements in a thing, you can arrange those elements in a certain number of ways. And a super super permutation is the shortest list of elements that contains all the possible permutations of all those elements. And for number of elements equaling seven, he discovered like the shortest possible super super permutation and posted it on like YouTube or something. Huh. So he's a real nerd. Like, yes, he's a real yeah. nerd. His, his hard science fiction. Oh, we can tell. Is yeah, yeah. yeah. He 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 does it because he's a, a science guy and math guy. That's kind of cool. Yeah, this sort of read to me like someone who's not literary, and I don't mean that as a slight, but this person is coming to this with a, a science background. Yeah. It's clear. I mean, this, it's clear as day once once you get into like the third or fourth paragraph. That's yeah. When we talk about like hard science fiction, it's like sometimes I don't enjoy the stuff where the biggest takeaway is supposed to be like how complex or original the plot is because I feel like those are less about you know the literary experience and more about like the it's almost like how fan fiction is not very good but it it always introduces like an interesting concept or riffs on a very interesting concept and so it's like if you want more of vampires doing this thing you can read all about it and your brain goes wild kind of after the fact you're not necessarily enjoying the way it's written but you're like enjoying where your imagination takes you yeah 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 that makes sense what's your takeaway rob i like seeing an author speak with authority about kind of not just their subject but kind of like how their subject works 
as I said earlier, when he's talking about how his various gadgets work, he, he doubles back and he gives an explanation as to why things wouldn't work this way or why this is the correct reason. And that's just kind of sound argument making. You present your argument, you say why it works, why it wouldn't not, why it wouldn't not work in a particular situation. I, I think that's cool. And you don't have to do that exact same thing in, in your own stories, but to apply that logic to think about, okay, why is my character doing this? How can I reinforce to the reader that I know what I'm talking about? And it could be something as simple as just, you you're, you're a badass and you have a great voice and it just takes care of itself. But if you're someone like this, who is not, I don't think this is a born badass. I think this is someone who comes from science. He wants to write. And he writes really well. But you do it by just kind of building your argument. And I think he does a nice job all over the place doing that. Yeah, that's a little bit of the show and tell. You know, the difference between showing that a character wouldn't do something versus just telling us he would never have done that. Mm-hmm. And then moving on. Yeah. Like he stood at the edge of the canyon and didn't jump in. They're not a canyon. <laughs> like, uh, uh, what do you call this? Where they're excavating rock and stuff and it's filled with water. A hole. Quarry. Quarry. Oh. Standing on the edge of the quarry. <laughs> <laughs> Where he's standing on the edge of the quarry and like his friends are like, would you jump in? Oh, and, uh, oh. Why wouldn't he? You could just tell us he wouldn't do that. But I think it's showing us why. And a lot of times uh, a good writer, or not a good writer, uh, yeah, some writers will tell us and then show us. Like Jimmy would never jump into a quarry. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go a flashback or you give some scene that shows us that he's not like yeah. that. Jimmy thinks he has wings. Don't be like Jimmy. Another thing I would take away from this is that uh, even when the workshop makes fun of my vocabulary, I can still sell a story with a vocabulary in it. Yeah. (laughs) Take that workshop. (laughs) That's right. I always look it up. I just don't know it. All right. Thanks, guys.